Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down, just believe. Our guest is, we grew up in Washington, D.C. She earned a Bachelor of Medical Science and a Doctor of Medicine from Northwestern University. From 2009 to 2014, she was Executive Vice President of Medical Affairs, University of Michigan, and the CEO, University of Michigan Health System, now known as Michigan Medicine. Since 2017, she's been the seventh president of Oakland University, which has 16,000 plus students, is the sixth largest public university in Michigan, and resides on 1,443 acres. Her name? Dr. Ora Hirsch-Peskovitz. And I'm Jack Krasula. And this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Dr. Ora Peskovitz. Since 2017, she's been the seventh president of Oakland University. Doctor, welcome and honored to have you. I'm honored to be here with you, Jack. Speaking of honored... You're honored to be the daughter of a special human being, your dad. Tell us about your dad. Well, first of all, I have uh, two wonderful parents, but my dad um, was uh, quite a remarkable person. Uh, He was a rabbi, and he uh, had a really illustrious career. Uh, he was um, a uh, he had really two careers, but um, probably what you're um, thinking about is that he was very active in the civil rights movement. Uh, and he was the founding director of an institution that was called the Religious Action Center in Washington, D.C. And he was very active in civil rights. Uh, and in particular, it was in his office in Washington, D.C. that significant civil rights legislation was drafted. He was a very good friend of Martin Luther King Jr.'s. And whenever Martin Luther King would come to Washington, he used my father's office for um, all of his activities, including the drafting of the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voting Rights Act. When Martin Luther King died, your dad delivered the Jewish portion of Martin Luther King's eulogy. Yes, in Washington. That's correct. All right, your mom, your mom, a nurse who emigrated from Russia. Tell us about mom. Well, my mom uh, grew up under very, very dire and difficult circumstances. Um, She lived in the Ural Mountains in um, Soviet Russia during the Stalinist period, and her father was killed by Stalin. Uh, The rest of my mother's family uh, was from Poland, and the majority of her family was killed by Hitler uh, and died in Auschwitz. Uh, My mother had an extremely um, very challenging childhood. Um, She uh, suffered from severe starvation and war, Um, but she came to the United States in 1954, Uh, and met my father. Um, And on my mother's side, I'm a first-generation American and a first-generation college student. Um, She was a remarkable woman and a great inspiration to me, uh, both in terms of pursuing a college career um, and pursuing a career in medicine 
and in academia. And she was a very brilliant woman uh, with a great interest in science and culture and medicine and history. Um, And she was really quite a remarkable uh, person. What's the biggest thing, doctor, you learned from mom? And what's the biggest thing you learned from dad? Well, my parents were uh, really remarkable people. Um, They had a very unusual and interesting marriage and relationship. I'm one of four children. Um, I'm the oldest, and then I have three younger brothers. Um, And my parents together um, had a a terrific and exciting marriage. Um, First of all, they, uh, it was a very lively marriage. They debated things um, between themselves, and we hosted at my home uh, people from all religions, all backgrounds, all cultures, and all political persuasions. And one of the things that they both taught us was the spirit of healthy debate and um, the importance of uh, tolerance and accepting people from all different backgrounds. So we would often have people from um, very important um, different backgrounds in our home. And that came from both of my parents. Um, My mother um, focused very much on education and pushed all four of us um, to pursue uh, an education. she was very strict. Uh, she used to say, um, I run one ship here, um, and that <laughs> and that is a dictatorship. And we used to say to her, um, but doesn't that sail on the sea of democracy? Um, my father um, would um, push us um, to follow the pursuit of um, of service and um, the importance of uh, thinking about um, how to serve the community. And between my parents, um, they really... Uh, really were a wonderful um, uh, pair because they really encouraged different things. They rarely voted in the same uh, party. Um, and so we had this diversity of thought and diversity of backgrounds and diversity of culture that really uh, enhanced this very exciting and interesting childhood. Uh, because they came from such different backgrounds, um, it really enhanced um, this wonderful um, and very uh, lively and uh, colorful childhood that my brothers and I had. Um, But we were really pushed um, to pursue um, education. Uh, And it really um, was remarkable. Education and service, I would say, were the two things that um, both of our parents pursued, pushed all four of us to pursue. And all three, all four of us have pursued careers uh, that I think um, really embody uh, public service. My mother was an immigrant, so, you know, immigrant families where, you know, where my parents really expected their children to achieve. And, and you have. Things that my and mother, you, have. you know, my mom didn't have access to the same things, but she knew what she wanted her children to achieve. And I and I didn't say this, but I, I think I should, you know, she didn't expect any less of her daughter than her sons, which is why she expected me to... Um, accomplish things no less than her sons would achieve. You were humble when you said you were a first-generation college student, Dr. Peskovitz, because you went to medical school at Northwestern University at 17. Well, I was turning 18, but yes, that's uh, it was a special program. It was um, a six-year medical program, so it was college and then medical school uh, together, but yes. All right, and you became... A pediatric 
endocrinologist from Northwestern. I was from the south side of Chicago. We did not have any pediatric endocrinologist on the south side. What is a pediatric endocrinologist? You you probably did uh, because the University of Chicago did have some uh, pediatric endocrinologists. Um, and I didn't actually become a pediatric endocrinologist at Northwestern, but I graduated from Northwestern. Um, then I did a pediatric uh, residency and then a pediatric endocrinology fellowship at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, and a pediatric endocrinologist is a subspecialist in pediatrics that focuses on disorders in childhood that involve the endocrine system, like diabetes, pediatric diabetes, and glands um, in the uh, body, like um, the pituitary gland um, that involve uh, disorders of growth and puberty and the thyroid gland and the reproductive system. We're talking about Dr. Ora Peskovitz. When we come back, we're going to ask her about her 21-year chapter at Riley Hospital for Children in Indianapolis. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula with Dr. Ora Peskovitz. From 1988 to 2009, you were at Indiana University, but also at Riley Hospital for Children in Indianapolis. Talk about that chapter of your life. Yes, well, um, first of all, I got married um, and I became uh, a trailing spouse um, for four moves. Um, the last of those four moves was to Indianapolis in 1988. I followed my husband, who was a transplant surgeon, and we moved to Indianapolis um, to pursue both of our careers. Uh, it was a wonderful place. We had three children, three young children, three and a half and under, and uh, we uh, had a terrific um, experience there. It was a great place to raise our children and for my husband, Mark, and me to pursue our careers. Um, and I uh, rose through the academic ranks. I became the director of pediatric endocrinology. I served in that role for 14 years. And uh, then I became the dean for research at the IU School of Medicine. Uh, and then I uh, became the uh, CEO of Riley Hospital. Uh, it was a wonderful, uh, it is a wonderful children's hospital. It's the sixth largest children's hospital in America and the highest acuity children's hospital as well, which means that the children are very, very ill. Uh, and I was very proud uh, to serve in that role. And then uh, I also served as the uh, interim associate uh, interim um, vice president for research at the IU uh, at Indiana University, and that's um, all eight campuses of Indiana University. All right, from 2004 to 2008, five years, you were the president and CEO of Riley. Doctor, every time I've gone into a children's hospital anywhere in America, there's an a love permeates. Love permeates. Why is that? 
Well, children's hospitals are really remarkable and special places. And I think the reason is because, um, first of all, children are obviously very special people. And the people that work in children's hospitals really have a sense of mission. They uh, really understand why they're there. Uh, the children, obviously, uh, and their families would rather be elsewhere. Um, but we are doing something uh, unique and remarkable for those children. And uh, it, is a, um, it is a sense uh, that you are doing uh, work that is uh, really um, dramatic. And the advances that have happened in uh, medical science and discovery uh, just over the course of my own lifetime and career uh, are really significant. I'll just give you one example. When I started as a pediatric resident uh, in the early 1980s, the uh, average child who got diagnosed with pediatric leukemia died. But as a result of scientific discoveries today, the average child who gets diagnosed with pediatric leukemia is cured. And that's as a result of the scientific advances that have taken place in research and the work that takes place in children's hospitals. So um, you see that what happens for children in children's hospitals is of such great consequence. And the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, um, the child psychiatrists, and even the average person that works in a children's hospital does dramatic work. If I have time, I'd like to just share one story with you. When I was the CEO at Riley, I used to make regular rounds. And one day, um, I was um, walking through the children's hospital, and I came across a housekeeper named Flora. And I was talking to her, and I just said to Flora, Flora, what are you doing here? And she was working on the dialysis unit. And she said, I'm helping the children get better. And I said, but Flora, you're just cleaning the floors in the dialysis unit. How is it that you are helping the children get better? She said, because when I clean the floors in this unit, I am ensuring that every child is in a healthy environment. And that is the way people who work in children's hospitals feel. Every single person, regardless of their job in a children's hospital, understands their purpose. Regardless of whether they're the doctor, regardless of whether they're the CEO, or regardless of whether they are the housekeeper, they understand their function and they know that they're there to help the children heal and get better. And that's the sense of purpose that people have in a children's hospital. It is a remarkable place to work. We're talking to Dr. Ora Peskovitz, and I quote her now, Riley was my fourth child. And anyone who just listened to that last couple of minutes realize that's your fourth child. What's the biggest thing that those courageous young boys and girls taught you over those 21 years? in that hospital. Yeah, they taught me about uh, courage. And um, I, uh, I saw so many children who uh, had terminal diseases um, smile and laugh and um, have the courage to confront those illnesses um, and um, wake up every day with hope, courage, and resilience. All right. In 2009, you leave Indiana, you come to Ann Arbor. 
and you become the CEO of University of Michigan Health System, now known as Michigan Medicine. Talk about that chapter of your life. Well, that was a really exciting and uh, wonderful chapter to be at um, the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, one of our premier uh, institutions here uh, in Michigan. Uh, it was an exciting uh, challenge and uh, really was uh, wonderful. Um, I, uh, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to lead uh, one of the top health systems in the world. Uh, and uh, it was uh, thrilling uh, to uh, be involved in um, one of the most um, formidable um, places where research takes place at a level that is uh, really um, unprecedented. Um, there is such remarkable discovery taking place at the University of Michigan. Uh, it is really unlike almost any other place um, in the world. There are more than 100 programs at the University of Michigan that are ranked in the top 10 uh, in their respective areas, and they do this research in a collaborative way. And it is um, just unbelievable to see how that research leads to the most remarkable discoveries. And uh, I was very proud uh, to be able to be a part of that. Uh, it was really uh, exciting and remarkable. Um, on the personal side, for me, unfortunately, uh, midway during my tenure there, my husband was killed uh, in a car accident. Um, during um, a very um, interesting uh, event for us. Uh, it was called the Big Chill. It was a game between uh, Michigan and mm -hmm. Michigan State. It was a hockey game. Mm -hmm. You might remember it. Mm -hmm. It was um, taken a takeoff of the movie, The Big Chill, and many of the actors were there at the time, but it was that weekend. On I-94. Yes. Mm -hmm. so. We're talking to Dr. Ora Peskovitz from 2014 to 2017. She was senior VP and U.S. medical leader for Eli Lilly. And when we come back, we're going to ask her what happened in 2017. And I'm Jack Russell, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Prasula, with Dr. Ora Peskovitz. In 2017, she became the seventh president of Oakland University. Doctor, what drew you to Oakland University? Well, I was very inspired by the opportunity uh, to contribute to a university where there is tremendous potential for our students to have upward mobility. And I was extremely excited by our mission, vision, values, and goals uh, at, at Oakland. And uh, what really excites me is uh, the kind of student that we attract. You know, Oakland is an institution, and I like to think of us as a university of choice. Um, and in particular, uh, since I've come, I'd like to been focused on the way we look at things today, which is the workforce university of choice, uh, because we really are responsive to the workforce needs of our local community. If you think about um, what we do, we are engaged in the local community. We 
think of ourselves as being stewards of place. Our students come from the local environment and they return to the local environment. 42% of our students are Pell Grant recipients. 36% of our students are first generation college students. 26% of our students are underrepresented minority students, and 16% of our students are African Americans. And for these students, the opportunity to get a great education like they get at Oakland University gives them this tremendous opportunity to have upward social mobility, to get a tremendous higher education, to get the opportunity to get a high-paying job when they graduate, and then to contribute mightily to the local economy and to revitalize our local communities. And that is exactly the opportunity that drew me to Oakland, because it is transformational for the individual student, it's transformational for the local community, and it contributes to the Michigan economy. And there is nothing like it. And for me, it is just so fulfilling to have a part in all of that. www.oakland.edu. When you're on the campus, you see these banners everywhere. Leave your mark on this world. Be golden. Yes. And it is that sense of being able to leave your mark. And it feeds very much my own sense of purpose and wanting to make a difference. And if you you asked me earlier about my parents and how I grew up and my sense of service, and this feeds very much my own sense of mission and purpose. All right, 1,440 acres. The campus is unbelievable. It's beautiful. And it's because of Matilda Dodge Wilson and Alfred Wilson. Tell us about that couple. Well, um, we are so fortunate to have been founded um, by that wonderful couple, uh, Matilda Dodge Wilson and her husband, Alfred. You know, we're the probably the only university that I know of that was founded by a woman, um, and I'm particularly excited by that. Matilda Dodge Wilson was also Michigan's um, first woman lieutenant governor, and what an amazing um, founder and philanthropist and um, amazing um, person with a vision. And this simple woman who had such generosity and a spirit of philanthropy was a remarkable person who uh, envisioned what a university could become. She was very direct and very specific about what she wanted to see in a university, and she was extraordinarily generous about what she thought students should do uh, with their lives. And we are working very hard to try to fulfill uh, her vision for the future. Speaking of extraordinary, tell us about the professors at Oakland University. We have remarkable professors. Our, um, our educators are uh, absolutely dedicated and committed to teaching our students. And one of the things that gives our students such a remarkable opportunity is the fact that our students are taught 
by the professors themselves, uh, not by graduate students or TAs. They are taught in relatively small classes so that they get individualized attention. And uh, the professors absolutely adore their students. They care about them personally. They're invested in them as individuals. They care about their career development and their long-term um, professional advancement. And so they're extremely fortunate to be taught by such remarkable uh, individuals. And that was what Matilda wanted as well. Um, she actually, um, you know, helped to create this ethos um, that has, we've continued to perpetuate to this day. Okay, Coach Tom Izzo, Michigan State Basketball, <laughs> has said that a college coach is as much a teacher as most professors. All right. We can debate that over a dinner table someday. But you just lost an icon to retirement after 43 years. Coach Pete Hovland. Tell us about Coach Hovland. Well, Pete Hovland is was one of the most remarkable coaches in all of athletics. Um, Pete uh, led our swimming and diving team for 44 years undefeated as a champion. Um, I don't think there was a more winning coach in, in NCAA history uh, anywhere. Uh, he is the most modest and remarkable man that I think I've ever seen. Um, and um, they, were, they were never um, defeated. And the same is true for our, that, that was our men's um, swimming and diving team. Our women's uh, team went undefeated for 28 straight years. And it was remarkable. I said to him that I begged him not to uh, retire. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, um, he said it was time. But it was really a remarkable career. Uh, he is just the most incredible man, and um, he was uh, he he set the stage for our swimming and diving uh, teams to just um, go on in perpetuity, as far as I'm concerned. And Mitch Alters is taking He's, over. Those are enormous shoes to fill. To fill. Um, but uh, I think that um, Mitch has big feet. All right. There's another coach. You call him the kid, the rookie, because he's only been there 40 years. <laughs> so he's the rookie. Yeah. He's the longest tenured active Division One college basketball coach at a single school. He's won 675 games. His motto is consistency is the hallmark of greatness. A yeah. great friend. Greg Campy. He's amazing. Um, Greg, yeah, you. I think he's beat um, Izzo, who I think has only been there for 28 seasons, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I mean, he. <laughs> so we are really fortunate. I think these both um, Campy and Hovland say something about Oakland's culture. And while they are remarkable individuals in their own right, for sure, the fact that they have chosen to stay at Oakland for decades says something about the kind of place we are because uh, we have this culture of um, attracting a, ter a particular kind of student, in, in their case, student athletes, of course, but we... Um, these coaches just adore our students, and we are a remarkable institution. And as I was telling you about the kind of students that we have, um, these incredible students who have diligence and perseverance and drive and competence, 
and capability. Our coaches, like our faculty, just love the students that we attract. And they've had offers to go to many other institutions, and yet they stay at Oakland because of the kind of uh, institution that we are, the uh, culture that we have, and the kind of students that we attract, and what they know they've been able to instill in these students and the careers that they go on to have, not just in athletics, but in uh, the rest of their lives and the way that they go on to be transformed as a result of the higher education experiences that they gain at at Oakland. We're talking to Dr. R. Peskovitz, www.oakland.edu. When we come back, we're going to ask her about America's greatest natural resource. And I'm Jack Priscilla, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Wasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to a 2023 Michiganian of the Year. In the 45th class, 1 of 10, that's tall cotton factory. All right. America's greatest natural resource is our young people. That's all we got. What do they truly want and need today? Well, I, I can't put myself in every one of their minds, but I do think that um, they do need um, an, a higher education. And I think that if you think about what the best investment is for a young person today, it is to invest in higher education. I know that many people in the public today have questioned the value of higher education, but there is no better investment than a higher education, and especially one in Michigan, where we offer accessible and affordable higher education. For families where the income is less than $70,000 a year today, between what the legislature has now done with the Michigan Achievement Scholarship Award and what most of our universities are offering, most students will be able to attend nearly tuition-free. And that makes it extremely affordable. And the average student will graduate with either no debt or less than $25,000 in debt, which is less than the cost of a car. 
And when you look at the salaries that they will earn over the course of a lifetime, the difference between someone who has no degree and someone who has a bachelor's degree is at least a million dollars over a lifetime. So there's no question about it. At Oakland, we are considered the number one brain gain university in the state. What I mean by that is we are worrying about the fact that our students, our graduates of our universities are leaving Michigan. But of our graduates at Oakland University who are working after they graduate, 99% of our students are working in high-paying jobs in Southeast Michigan. And so we are the number one brain gain university in the state. And these students are contributing mightily to our economy. And so it is the best investment in them, our students, but also in our state's economy. So that is our number one resource. I agree with you. Since 2017, you've led Oakland University. What's the biggest thing the Oakland University students have taught you these past seven years? Well, they have taught me about um, diligence, about uh, vision, about enthusiasm, about uh, the future, and about um, excitement. Our students are just so excited about the future. And one thing that I share with them to a large extent is the commitment to sustainability. Students these days are extremely concerned about our planet, and they are very worried about climate change and about the future of the planet. And I am equally concerned about that. And so I do believe that we have to worry about how to sustain our, our planet for them and for their children as well. And I've learned that uh, from our students. Speaking of the future, talk to us about Oakland University, William Beaumont School of Medicine. Yes, we are uh, one of the newest schools of medicine in the state, and our medical school is on fire. Um, we have figuratively. <laughs> I mean it in a positive way. Uh, we have more than eighty-five hundred applications each year for our one hundred twenty-five slots. So it is a highly competitive medical school, and our students are absolutely remarkable. You know, I'm not sure, Jack, that I would have gotten accepted to. OUWB, our medical school. It is a highly competitive medical school, and our students are remarkably compassionate. They have a great sense of altruism. They are brilliant. They get accepted to um, the top residencies, both in Michigan and around the country. They have a 100% pass rate on their board exams, and um, they make the most amazing doctors. And I would send every family member of mine to one of our OUWB graduates. Doctor, if you're not sure that you would be accepted, I wouldn't even be allowed to apply. Okay. Come on. Oh, they're amazing. They are just amazing. They're so incredible. That's like saying Michael Jordan maybe couldn't play college basketball. All right. Uh, paint for us a picture of Oakland University in 2030? Well, um, I, I hope that we will continue to accept even more remarkable students than the ones we have today. Um, today we have just incredible students. I hope that we will continue to um, see even more student success. In other words, I'd like to see even more students who get accepted to Oakland continue to graduate. 
I would love to make even more research discoveries that are applicable to the industries that are in our in our region, that we partner more with the companies, with the businesses, with the auto industry, with the schools, with the hospitals that are in our region. I like to see us be even better partners with our communities to help to revitalize the communities that we are a part of. We are stewards of place, and what that means is that we belong to the local environment, and so we need to make sure that as we thrive, the communities that we're a part of thrive as well. We are a part of those communities, so we need to work synergistically with them so we're integrated in those communities. And therefore, I envision us continuing to do that. I'd like to see us attract more international students to Oakland because the population in Michigan is not growing organically. And one of the ways to help attract more people to Michigan is to attract more international students and more businesses. And I think that in 20, in, in the future, what we will be doing in 30 years is that we will also be attracting more businesses to Michigan through Oakland. So those are the kinds of things I envision us doing in the future. And you'll still be running Oakland University. <laughs> well, if they'll have me, because I, I can't envision it retiring. I'm not the retiring type. All right. Uh, you're a most amazing lady. What you've achieved is phenomenal. And I think your parents would be the proudest about how you've given back. Keep up the great, great work. Thank you. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Rasool. Thanks for listening. Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spawn. Believe in yourself.